Welcome back to Investigate Joe Rogan. Today I will be taking a look at episode 1820 of JRE with Jack Carr as the guest. Jack Carr is a former Navy SEAL who now writes spy novels. This is because his parents named him Jack Carr, and so there was really no other options for him in life but to do this exact thing. Jack Carr. The first thing I want to talk about is actually not Jack Carr, it's Athletic Greens. If you listen to JRE at all, you have no doubt heard this advertisement many times. This seems to be the number one thing that JRE is selling these days. I actually looked up what it is because I wanted to know if it was on its level ridiculous or more of a normal thing. I discovered that it's not as bad as on it. I made several episodes about On It a few years ago, which you can listen to if you scroll down really far. I actually really like those episodes. But Athletic Greens is a green powder that contains basically every vitamin. A month's supply costs $100, which is pretty steep, considering that if you have a decent enough diet, you get all of these vitamins from food anyway. On It has moved on from advertising with Joe Rogan, It's it seems like, and they now advertise on the Tim Dillon Show. Personally, if I were running a health supplement company, Tim Dillon would not be my first choice of spokesperson. But maybe I just don't understand the industry. So why is Jack Carr on this podcast program? Well, as a former Navy SEAL, he has a free pass to come on JRE whenever he wants to. But besides that, he has recently come out with a new installment in his spy novel series called In the Blood. Here's the first part of the Amazon summary for the book In the Blood. A woman boards a plane in the African country of Burkina Faso, having just completed a targeted assassination for the state of Israel. (laughs) Two minutes later, her plane is blown out of the sky. In my opinion, the book should just end there. When I read that, I just thought, good. That should be the happy ending of the story. She is killed. But of course, it goes on for another 400 pages or so. And the other thing I really like about this summary is that it says the African country of Burkina Faso, basically saying that he does not trust his audience enough to know where Burkina Faso is, or even that it is in Africa. Um, I wanted to find a summary of the whole book in the blood, but I could not. However, I was able to glean some interesting things from the lengthy reviews people have left for it on Goodreads. Here is a quote from one reader who was giving a, a little synopsis, not as much as I would hoped for, but a little bit. After getting the okay to act as the president's Vrilgel Tungsvafe, Reese, that's, that's the protagonist, his name is Reese. Reese stops off across the Potomac and guides a tour of Arlington National Cemetery. So apparently, the book starts off with Reese, the ex military, ex CIA, etc., badass protagonist leading a public tour of Arlington National Cemetery before he heads out for his mission. I mean, it truly sounds like a parody. I couldn't even make this up if I tried to. 
That same review also says, In the blood leaves nothing to the imagination, except for the choice of blade or bullet. So what I gather is that these books are very violent. <laughs> and apparently not super subtle. I also gathered that a big element of this book in particular is an AI named Alice helping Reese as he travels the world shooting people. And some of the reviews did not like this sci-fi element, and there were people who were mad about the series taking that direction. Carr also says in this episode of Jerry that the protagonist frequently talks about freedom and the Second Amendment. <laughs> like, just... There's just, like, dialogue about, like, freedom and, and guns in the book. There is also frequent product placement in these books. I think I talked about this the last time he was on. And you can actually go on his website and find a list of products that the protagonist uses in the book. I am not kidding. There is also tie-in merchandise that you can buy, such as bottle openers shaped like grenades. I actually think this is a good idea, and it's something that more books should start to do. For instance, if you buy a copy of The Stranger, maybe you also get some sausages or a handgun. Maybe you get a tennis racket and a noose with your copy of Infinite Jest. I think these are ideas that the publishing industry needs to start taking seriously, because reading is very boring, and it needs to be spiced up somehow if you actually expect people to buy these products. Later on in the episode, they both wonder why acting used to be so bad back in the day. They show some clip from a, a black-and-white movie. Jamie wonders if perhaps this was due to the influence of radio. This is actually just something I happened to find interesting. This was really um, about acting for the stage versus acting for the camera. It's not necessarily bad acting that you're seeing in old movies. It's just not trying to mimic realistic human behavior, which nowadays is the standard for acting. Um, but really, um, it's not as though every movie made before 1970 has this sort of theater-style dramatic acting, but a lot of it does. These were actors who were originally stage actors or were trained by stage actors. And when you're acting in the theater... You have to be big because subtlety and murmuring just don't work. You know, you have to act for the people in the back row. Um, I watch a lot, of, a lot of older movies, and I can understand why the acting might turn some people off. But I also think it's something you can get past if you want to. And you are definitely missing out on a lot of, of great boomer movies if you avoid anything made before 1970. This is, this is really a tangent here, but I'm going to continue. You can, I think you can really see how few people watch older movies, possibly because of, again, this sort of cheesy, hammy acting. You can really see this when people give like huge praise and hype up movies like The Northman. And I thought The Northman was pretty good. Um, but if you've basically grown up watching nothing but 21st century Hollywood, then a movie like The Northman could actually be pretty mind-blowing. It will appear to be shockingly good compared to what normally comes out. And then after this, they talk about cars for a while. And then they move on to World War II. 
Rogan wonders why the Allies even had D-Day at all during World War II. What was the tactical reason for this anyway? I like to think of this as basically being the real-life equivalent of the question, why didn't the Fellowship just take the Eagles all the way to Mordor? (laughs) And the real answer is that they didn't just storm the beaches. There was a lot of other stuff going on on D-Day. They did parachute in 24,000 people on top of the, the whole boat thing, which is really kind of crazy if you think about it. That's like a whole small town just being dumped out of the sky. And they also bombed the German defenses, or at least they tried to. Um, they just It just didn't really work. And bad weather also kind of screwed things up. So a lot of the boats didn't even land where they were supposed to, which made things worse. Also, they just didn't have unlimited options. I mean, at a certain point, if you want to move a ton of people to Europe, you're going to have to land somewhere. And you can't totally hide an operation that big, even though they did try to with, with the various like decoy operations and things. Now, if I had been there on D-Day, I would have just teleported behind them and killed them with my katana. While they're still talking about World War II, Carr says that on the West Coast, some people had blackout curtains uh, for bombing reasons. Carr brings this up to say, you know, oh, back in the day, people supported the military, and everyone was on board, and, you know, nowadays everyone is a liberal, terrorist, etc. And I had never heard of this whole blackout curtain thing, so I looked into it, and I came across something that I thought was actually pretty funny. Apparently, the government asked some East Coast towns that were right on the water to use blackout curtains. And this was because a ship in the water will stand out against a backdrop of town lights and be an easier target. But these towns just ignored this because they thought it would be bad for tourism if everything looked dark. And it's thought that this may have legitimately made it easier for Nazi submarines to sink some ships, which did happen. A lot of ships off the East Coast got blown up. Just imagine that. The government asked people to just put heavy blinds up in their business so people did not, uh, like, drown or get blown up. (laughs) And people just said, no, I'd rather not. I don't really care. (laughs) So this nostalgic idea that everyone was, you know, really great and patriotic 80 years ago is just not true. Like, it's not like, you know, I mean, it was a different time. But it was not, a, I think he's wearing rose-tinted glasses. Carr also says that America outsources its energy to its enemies, and that this is a big problem. The reality is that America is a net exporter of petroleum, meaning that we actually sell more petroleum to other countries than we buy. The oil we do import does not come from our enemies, really. The vast majority of it does not. Like, does Carr think that we're just buying oil from China and Iran, Iran, or North Korea or something? I don't know what he thinks is going on. But the top three countries we get oil from, that could, that could be a good like list-based uh, like YouTube video. The top ten countries <laughs> we get oil from. Coming in at number one, Canada, and then Mexico, and then Saudi Arabia. Now, before you say anything about Saudi Arabia, keep in mind, as a diehard military supporter, 
Carr would very much be obligated to not consider Saudi Arabia our enemy. We are friends with Saudi Arabia. Whether you like it or not, we are. And Russia is the fourth biggest supplier, but they really don't send us much oil. They only make up 3% of imports. So Carr is really living in the past. I, I think a lot of people, it's not just him, a lot of people still have this vague idea that we get most of our oil from the Middle East. Like most of it comes from OPEC or something, like it's the 70s. But this is really just not the case. Carr also sort of thinks that he's living in the future because he makes various allusions throughout the podcast to secret insider knowledge he has to very sci-fi technology that the military supposedly has. For instance, he says they have quantum computers. And there are quantum computers. They're both like very amazed by the, the pictures of quantum computers that Jamie pulls up. But quantum computers cannot do anything practical better than normal computer. Not yet, anyway. So there's really no reason to think that the military has some sort of magical AI supercomputer. This may come as a bit of shock, but I think as far as serious political analysis goes, this Jack Carr guy is a little off the mark, to put it as nicely as possible. At one point, he says that the government truly believed there were WMDs in Iraq and that they were just doing their honest best to protect America. At another point, he says that what we really need is more farmers to become congressmen. He has a very sort of simple, like simple-minded, wholesome outlook on things that that is, of course, uh, utterly useless in terms of dealing with actual problems. Um... That is all I have to say about this episode. Hopefully there won't be as much of a delay until the next installment of Investigate Joe Rogan. If you want to listen to bonus episodes, uh, there's a Patreon you can subscribe to for $2. And I hope you enjoyed listening. I will see you next episode.